What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay, and this show is brought to you by our wonderful patrons. And we've got two new ones this week, so please be upstanding and shake your tail feather for the wonderful Sean Dyer and Trey Montague. Sean and Trey, thank you so much. You join the many, the small army of patrons who support this podcast, and we simply could not keep this podcast going without you. And in return, you get lots and lots of lovely, lovely bonus material. Uh, if you want to check that out, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Mr. D, how are you, sir? Do you know what, Mr. Stay? We have got smoke. We have got serious smoke here where we are right now. It's bonkers. It's a bit Armageddon-ish. We've got like this kind of glowing orb in the sky and it's all coming from the poor folks on the west coast of America, Oregon, uh, California. I'm sure you've been reading about the wildfires. Oh, and we, astonishing. We have, a, we have a level 10 smoke warning here in Canada because of the smoke that's coming over from, from the States. And it really makes you stop and appreciate, you know, I mean, it seems so ironic right now. We're all, the kids have gone back to school here and they're all wearing masks because of COVID. And yet... You know, it's almost as important to be wearing it because of the air quality. So we're living in very, very bizarre times right now. Tell me about it. It's very, very strange. Very strange indeed. Yeah, hearts go out to anyone who's caught up in that. This, the pictures are, it's like oh. the sky is just apocalyptic. It's um, You know, I wouldn't want this on anyone, um, you know, anyone who's writing apocalyptic kind of literature right now. They don't have to imagine it in terms of what it looks like. They just have to look out of their window here. And um, it's happened before. It's happened quite a few times in Canada, actually, because we had some really bad forest fires a couple of years ago. And weirdly enough, this year, we've had the lowest, I think, amount of forest fires in, I think, 20 years. I might be wrong. And yet in the States, it's just been absolutely terrible. So, yeah, my heart goes out to everyone in the States who's struggling. If you're one of those people that's had to evacuate your house or even lost your house, uh, you know, we, our thoughts are with you. It's just uh, incredibly, incredibly crazy times. It really, really is. But apart from that, apart from the smoke, uh, how's it going? Because I saw you on the Academy. I saw oh, you on my big screen on the Academy. How was that? It was absolutely awesome. You know, I'm sure pretty much everyone listening, we think, we, we reckon that everyone and at least everyone's dog or cat has, has appeared on Zoom recently <laughs> since COVID <laughs> started. So what we're doing is we're doing coaching on Zoom. And yesterday I had this incredible opportunity to coach 40 people. And it was like, just like you see on the pictures, you know, 40 different videos of everyone on camera. And it was just the most 
brilliant experience because for four years we've been talking into microphones and I get to see you. I have the pleasure of seeing Mr. Stay. Sorry Stay about whenever, that. <laughs> whenever we record these podcasts, but podcasts are all about audio. And it's so lovely to see people's faces. I said it's so nice to put a name to the avatar. <laughs> it's like, and hear a voice. And it, it, it was lovely. So I, I really appreciate that. And we had a fantastic coaching session. It was a bit like flying a plane and serving the peanuts at the same time. And <laughs> anyone who's ever done a, hosted a Zoom call will know what I'm talking about. But do you know, it's, it's, I said one of the things that really stood out was we talked about just how lonely writing is, how hard a profession writing can be because of isolation. And then when you take it into a period of isolation, such as the pandemic, it's like kind of magnified by 10. And I, you know, even though it's not the same as being able to all get together in a room and have a glass of wine together and read each other's books, to be able to do that with face-to-face -face and audio and video was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. So I want to thank everyone that showed up yesterday and, um, and the, the incredible coaching session that we had, yeah. And you're, you're coming up next, aren't you? You're going to be doing a coaching session in a couple of weeks about craft, aren't you, Mark? Yeah, I'm glad you went first so you could, uh, <laughs> you could learn where all the knobs were for twiddling. Um, I know. But, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've had some incredible questions, incredible questions. are going to spark some really fun uh, conversations. And that's the great thing. It is a conversation. We can get people up on the screen. They can have chats with us. And, you know, it's going to be really, really good fun. Just as long as we know where to twiddle the knobs and push buttons, we're going to be fine. Yeah, and I think one of the great things is, is everybody who's ever been online with any kind of webinar or meeting, everyone knows that, you know, technically it doesn't always go perfectly. And uh, and it's great in some ways because it takes a little bit of the pressure off. But um, it also, it was just great. We were we all bought our favourite mugs with us to the session yesterday. <laughs> and, we, and we had some people drinking wine. And we I did meet many cats and dogs, which was an unexpected surprise. <laughs> it's just brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. And Mark, you've had a you've had a particularly busy week as well, haven't you? In fact, uh, not much sleep from what I've heard. Well, I was up for twenty one hours straight yesterday. Um, that's that's partly to do with uh, the film, partly to do with my son being on a late shift because uh, he works in the kitchen of a restaurant, and oh, he was no. on a late shift. So I just because he's we live in the middle of nowhere, and it's too late for a taxi, so I had to go and pick him up. So I got to the middle of this afternoon, became slightly delirious, and I had a nap. Have you ever had that, that sort of nap where you wake up from it? questioning the very nature of reality I, I, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean i had one of those it's, it's such a good fit who needs drugs you just need a good mid-afternoon nap you know with some proper rem sleep and uh yeah i so i'm fully refreshed now i'm completely invigorated so i'm up for it but uh yes i've been on set uh i can't tell you anything other <laughs> other than cast and crew i just I get to see the dailies. There's an app for the iPad where you can look at the dailies, which is what they shot the day before, and it's it's the takes that have been selected, um, blah, blah, blah. And to see little moments that have only existed in my head, to see little snippets of them before they're edited, and to see the effort that the crew and the actors all put into it. I've got to tell you, you'll love this. You know, I actually got a little bit teary and emotional oh. watching it. Because um, there's some, and you you think you have it in your head one way, and you know the lighting is amazing, the camera's amazing, the costumes, the makeup, uh, the props, the setting, it's all so. And then on top of that, the incredible acting, it's all so much better than you could possibly have imagined. They they bring 
and a new they bring that they bring their own energy to it and um yeah i i got a little bit misty eyed uh, today and i messaged um messaged john the director and just said you know you guys are brilliant i just love it absolutely love it so yeah oh. uh i'm i'm living <laughs> in between long days naps and the film i'm living in a kind of dream world at the moment so um yeah uh, i'm enjoying it while it lasts no it's fantastic and i think it is it's so important isn't it to kind of you know just to kind of take in that moment because like you say, I mean, many people don't get to experience this. They don't get to see the reality of what happens when you get this huge, incredibly talented group of people to take your idea, your story, and just create it in reality in a way that you could never imagine. And it just must be the only thing I the only thing I can compare it to is is imagining what it must be like to have an orchestra play a piece of music that you've written and to sit in the middle of that room and just go. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's right. it's it's all these people coming together, which is, you know, not something we're allowed to do much these days. Exactly. Uh, to to create something amazing. Uh yeah. and and everyone's masked, everyone's got their masks on. We're all being, you know, getting tested. We're all uh, uh you know, we're all obeying and washing our hands and keeping 2 meters apart and sterilizing everything and uh, you know, so it's uh it's all it's all working. It, it can be done. It's here's a question. Here's a question yeah. for you. I don't know if you can reveal this, but um, or maybe we'll just talk about it generally. But what happens if in in the film world right now, if there's a scene where two people kiss? I mean, I presume they can still do that, or do are they actually yeah. not the, making that happen because of COVID? The actors bubble. The act, the actors are uh, protected. Okay. So the they've actors, got their own bubbles. Got yeah, they, they have their own bubbles, and and they bubble off. And they, if they are a couple in the film if they interact in that way then uh yeah they are bubble but the, everything is geared towards keeping the actors safe and healthy uh, yeah because you know it, it happened a couple of weeks ago with uh, the robert Pattinson batman movie right uh, i remember we talked about that yeah, yeah. so you do, it's your worst nightmare you don't want do that you know happen. what must be so hard being the partner of an actor Right, because there's the whole thing about okay. So how is your day? How's your day at work? Well, I I snogged this beautiful actress, but now they come home and say I snogged a beautiful actress, and I therefore can't snog you for at least two weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. How, I mean, talk about there should be there should be like a credits part of the film credit should be like you know partners of the main actors frustrated partners. Frustra- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they get special gifts from the director. <laughs> That's a very good point. Oh, my goodness. So to all partners of actors out there, we salute you. We absolutely salute you. What what an incredible world we live in. And um, talking about incredible worlds, we have got a a brilliant interview today. But before we dive into that, I'm just going to give you a little preview that our interviewee today has sold well over six million books. This is an incredible story. Um, And what we love, what we love is a good celebration we love to celebrate people's successes and one of the things that we've always been promoting is this idea of celebrating your wins and sharing your wins so if you've had something that you're particularly proud of no matter how big or small it is we want to hear from it from from you so do send us a message via the website if you go to bestsellerexperiment.com and pop over to the contact form. Tell us what's happening in your life that you want to celebrate, because we want to celebrate as much goodness in the world right now. And what we've been doing on the on the Academy is we have a very specific forum called Share Your Wins. And it's a great forum because it's a place where people talk about 
what they've achieved. And we actually make a point of saying that it doesn't have to be something major like finishing your book. It can be a mini win, something which you're just, it's a big, you know, might be a, might be seem small for most people, but it's a big win for you. And um, so we want to just celebrate a few of the, few of the things that people have achieved within the Academy so far in the first week and a half. Um, Adam told us that he wrote eight, 1800 words a day and finished the fifth draft of Ribbon Road, his new book. And he said, he says, I know it's not a lot of words to write in a day, but I haven't written like this since the pandemic started. It's good to be back out again. So that's an example of someone who's, you know, getting back into their stride. And, um, and, and that's worth celebrating. Um, we had a, a Nick tell us that she's been kind of working out how to create a space for her writing. Because a lot of people know within, you know, COVID, like the, their family life has changed. They may have the kids at home now. They may have partners working from home. And so as writers, we're kind of having to almost readapt and shift around everyone's new habits. And Nick was celebrating the fact that she's managed to build in a framework in her mornings where the kids are occupied. But she also, and I love this, she actually decided to do a writing sprint with her with her child. They actually decided to write together. And it meant that Nick could actually write for 25 minutes and get her words down. But at the same time, it was a shared experience. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, people are being so creative around how they can kind of include their children. And who knows, wasn't there someone Mark, we spoke with? Who was it that we spoke with whose grandfather used that approach to get her writing at a very early age? Yes, we did you're an interview, right. didn't we, you're a couple right. of months oh, ago? Oh, God, that's going to bug me the whole episode. It is, now. I know, I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but this, this is one, I remember the interview, and I remember we talked about how as a parent or a grandparent or, or a mentor of a young person, we just never quite know how getting them into writing at an early age might actually end up them being best-selling authors or writers for the rest of their lives. So, you know, Nick, you never know, maybe, you're, maybe your children will become incredible writers, which is just a brilliant skill to have regardless of what they end up doing. And Robin, Robin Sarti, who's, who's also in the Academy, said that she's been writing daily between 8 and 10 a.m. with a group of writing buddies for a few months. So she's found this incredible group, a supportive group, that are getting each other into the rhythm of writing. So if you have a mini win like that or a major win, maybe you've published your book, maybe something's happened with your book, let us know. And we're going to be covering a few more wins, aren't we, later on, Mark, with the BXP team. Yeah, lots of good stuff to come. Lots of good Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. So let's talk about our interviewee today, Mark. You got the pleasure of speaking to... Carol Matthews, who yes. is quite a phenomenon. She really is. Uh, she writes fantastically funny and heartwarming books, uh, which have sold over 6 million copies worldwide and published in more than 31, 31 countries. Uh, and she's won all sorts of awards, including being inducted into the Festival of Romance Hall of Fame for outstanding contribution to romance writing. She's written, we, we do we do lose count, I think 33 books there might be, and that's two books a year for the last 10 years. I, I've met Carol a long, long time ago because um, after being a bookseller with Waterstones for a while, I became a sales rep for a publisher called Headline, uh, the Headline Publishing Group, which is uh, now part of the bigger Hachette group, which I work for at Orion. Yes, it's a very incestuous industry. <laughs> and um, uh, one, of the, one of the things I really enjoyed doing as a rep was taking 
authors out on the road. So you get an author for the day and you drive them around and take them from bookshop to bookshop and they sign copies of books. And it's it's something that doesn't happen as much anymore. The big publishers don't really have the sales teams to do that these days. Some some do, some don't. But um, back then it was it was you know it was really really good fun and she was one of the first authors i ever took out and she was already a bestseller and i was kind of nervous but she was really really nice and it was a real joy to sort of go out and about with her uh but her that was back in 1998 or 99 i think so you know 20 21 years ago uh but yeah she's had this incredible career and uh, she sustained, you know, incredible uh, quality of work. And we talk about things like uh, abandoning a book. We talk about how writing in the first person, you know, it helps you get into character, uh, how insom- the role the insomnia has played in her career and how doing craft could solve story problems. So lots and lots of good stuff in there. Brilliant stuff. Let's dive in and listen to Mark interviewing the wonderful Carol Matthews. Carol Matthews, welcome to the Bestseller Experiment. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, this is this is a real treat for me because thinking back to when I first started as a sales rep for a publisher, this was Headline Publishing, I started in 1998 and one of the first authors I took out for the day was your good self and i was i was really nervous because you were already you know best-selling author at headline uh, and you were absolutely lovely and it made my day so thank you for being nice to me it was it really really made a difference well, i think it was very nice when we bumped into each other last week that we both recognized each other yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm taking that that time has been kind to both of us yes it certainly has well it's certainly i mean let's talk about your incredible career. I mean, you've got a new book coming, which is really exciting. Sunny Days and Sea Breezes. Just the title alone is transporting people already. Uh, but this is, I've lost how many, count of how many novels you've written. Is it 32, 33? Uh, Sunny Days will be my 33rd novel. So, wow. Um, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, 30 odd novels in now. I've been going 23 years. I started just before the year you did. So my first book was out in 1997. So, um, yes, when we just were starting to have mobile phones and email and look at us now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, it's just incredible. It's, uh, you know, there's so many books and so many bestsellers. And you've sold something like six million books worldwide, been published in more than 31 countries. Yeah. But it's um, from what I can gather from you didn't think writing was for the likes of you, did you? Well, no, I'm kind of, you know, a northern working class lass from a fairly modest background. And I guess the kind of stuff I read when I was um, a teenager and probably shouldn't have been reading it was um, kind of Jackie Collins, Sidney Sheldon, all the big kind of bonk busters of their day. Um, And I, I didn't know anything about yachts and penthouses and whatever. Um, so it was only really at the start of the whole romantic comedy chick lit um, when people were starting to write about ordinary lives. Until then, they'd been kind of very glamorous, you know, polo playing and all that kind of thing. Um, and the first book I read was Norma Curtis, Living It Up, Living It Down, which was set in Hemel Hempstead, or part of it was. And I thought, oh, my Lord, it's a book about things that I know about. And um, that was kind of my inspiration to um, give it a go, really. 
Hemel Hempstead, the glamour. Uh, Damn uh, Hemel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've got the Milton Keynes market cornered now. <laughs> yes. I think it's you and Sarah Pimber in Milton Keynes, isn't it? It's, it uh, is, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a hot bed of flying talent. very different to mine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Am, am I right in thinking it all started with a short story competition? Yes, I was working, um, I was a beauty therapist at the time and I'd been writing lots of articles for beauty magazines and I'd been getting writer's news for leads for um, places that would take articles and their sister magazine, writing magazine, has a short uh, story competition in the back and I thought, oh, well, I'll enter that. don't know what made me do it because I hadn't written any fiction since uh, school that I hadn't been kind of strong-armed into doing and um, so I, I wrote a love story and it was quite a dark, kind of bitter little piece, really. Um, but I wrote this short story and it, having absolutely nothing to compare it to, I kind of felt it was OK. Um, and sent it off, but I was still really, really surprised when I won and I won a thousand pounds. And wow. thought, oh, well, this can't be hard. feel that I was Um, but I did the most sensible thing I've ever done in my life Mark Um, I spent the money on a writing course and Ah. um, toddled myself off to uh, Fen Farm Arts and when the course was coming up I thought well I better start something because the deal was you kind of sat and wrote during the day and then um, after dinner um, and a couple of glasses of wine you sat and read your stories out and so I started a book which became Let's Me On Platform 8. And the tutor on the course took me to one side at, at one evening and said, this is good enough to send to an agent and gave me the name of an agent to send it off to, which I did. So, um, yeah, and I, I, I sent, I'd, I'd do what I'd never, ever advise anyone to do ever. I sent it Christmas week. I finished the book and I just wanted it out of my house. And so I sent it to this agent Christmas week and uh, not knowing at the time that they were getting kind of 350 unsolicited scripts a week, which is probably more than double that now. But he took it home for Christmas and he rang me when the office opened in the new year and said, I'd like to take you on. And um, so I went from not being a novelist to being a novelist very quickly. Wow. Um, and as you say, my first book went straight into number seven in the bestseller list, which I thought everybody's book did. <laughs> I wasn't all that thrilled about it. I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I'm a writer. Of course I really. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite a... I mean, you were writing, like you say, you're writing articles in beauty magazines, but it's, uh, it's a big transition to, to, to writing a novel. Yeah, and I, I guess I was always... I'm an only child, and from, like, the age of four... I was a completely avid book reader to the point where my mum was having to buy books for the school library because I was reading them all ten times and I'd run, they'd run out of books. <laughs> so my mum was buying books for me to take in to, to read for our reading sessions because I was reading them so quickly. So um, I've always been an avid reader. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know what... The link was between me kind of going from articles about not getting sunburnt on the golf course and aromatherapy to, to fiction, but I'm glad that I made the jump. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I'm interested in that relatability because, as you say, the, the Jackie Collins kind of genre, there's a glamour to that. It's aspirational. You know, it's, it's, it's of another world. But you must have seen, I mean, certainly if you're working in, in you know, like the, the beauty industry or whatever, you must see people around you who are a bit larger than life, who are, but still relatable as well. I guess that's... Well, um, I think some 
of it came from the stories that my clients told me while um, they were in my beauty therapy room confessional, because I guess it's a bit like hairdressers and people that you have as your clients for years um, do confide in you and and tell you their life stories. And I guess I've always been interested in that. It drives Kevin mad when we go out for dinner and I'm always listening to what's going on on the next table, not to what he's saying. (laughs) (laughs) He'll get to be back in the room. (laughs) It's so um, I, th- I think being nosy is an intrinsic part of being um, a writer, really. You will, you know, I can stand at a bus stop, and I guess that's part of my northern roots, too. I can stand at a bus stop or on a train, and I get somebody's life story within about five minutes. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm a, a gatherer of tales. You say it's being nosy, but I think it's being a listener, because my, my cousin mm. Nick is a hairdresser. Mm. And he is one of the greatest raconteurs I know. Yeah. He can he can spin out a story like yeah. no one else. He's very very funny as well. But of course, that is people coming through your door. You're in that sort of trusting space, beautician or hairdressers, and and you will sp- spill the guts because it's that, or you talk about the weather or or what was yeah. on telly last night. But absolutely, you know, it's, once you've uh, exhausted that, you've got to go a bit deeper, haven't you? but Kevin about you saying about your cousin uh, being a good uh, storyteller Kevin always says to me I never let the facts stand in the way of a good story no exactly (laughs) why should she always gets bigger brighter more expensive whatever (laughs) (laughs) having having had such a rush into publication with Let's Mm. Meet on Platform 8 suddenly you had I I imagine you had a multi-book deal you had to deliver another book we we've talked you know on on this uh, podcast before about that difficult second book how yeah. did you confront that was that a bit of a wake up call for you second book was fine second book was absolutely fine I had no trouble with that at all and agent loved it my editor loved it third not so much the third book was really really difficult i still stand by it now as being a good book but it wasn't as frothy and light as perhaps the first two were and uh, interestingly, um, I'm still in touch with Claire Foss, who was my editor then, who you may remember. I talked to her just last week, actually. And she said, I just found it too sad. It was too kind of true. So that was the, that was the kind of hard one to write. And I think I actually, I did put it to one side. I mean, one of the things I have been blessed with as an author is that I write really quickly. Um, as you probably know, I've been doing two books a year for probably the last 10 years. So I write really quickly. I'm not a big fan of the editing. Um, (laughs) So I'd rather have it kind of raw and as I speak, to be honest. Um, So I I put that third book to one side and just did another, uh, which then came out instead. So I still have the um, difficult book three that never saw it to publication in my desk drawer somewhere. (laughs) Oh, uh, will it will it ever come out of the drawer one day? Will it? Or will I don't it, think so. I kind of. I guess I. I guess your style moves on. And somebody kindly messaged me the, a little while ago and said, "I've just read Let's Meet on Platform Eight, and it's as if it's by a different author." And I said to her, "Well, I'm kind of 23 years older, right? <laughs> 33 books wiser. It, it kind of is by a different author, really." Um, yeah. I, I hope it has some of my hallmarks in there. But, you know, if your writing doesn't develop in 23 years, then you're kind of in a bit of a bad place, really, aren't you? Yes, you have to start asking serious questions. Yeah. And, of course, the, the the market has changed. So I was looking back at some of those old covers and, you know, the bright pinks and bright and and now you know that's more of pastel colors and what have you is yeah. these things you know come fashions come and go but i know and you know we are the 
the first cover it was like a kind of royal blue and it was called let's meet on platform eight and it had a shadow print on it and the boys feet and the girls feet yes and the feet. we just thought that was the most cutting edge cover yeah. we could come up with it we were so pleased with it <laughs> the feet. And you look back at it now and it looks so naive and charming well um, i think yeah. you started thinking back i think you know that started off a trend you could probably fill out an entire pinterest board with covers with feet you know of couples standing in front of each other but you know these trends come and go i'm interested in 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 that third book that never got published because i were you coming up against you know as your editor said it was it was too sad but was there also a reader expectation had you got to the point where readers were expecting a certain kind of book from carol matthews i don't think readers were but i think um publishers were Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the genre had been established enough at that point in the reader's mind for me to do something slightly different. I don't. I don't think it was too sad. It didn't have the traditional happy ending, which my first book didn't either. And a couple of publishers rejected it on the fact that it didn't have the kind of pat happy ending. Um, and not all of my books uh, have had that over the years. That is one of my kind of things that I don't like everything wrapped up too neatly I do in some books because it's appropriate but in some books they have a satisfactory resolution but they don't always walk off into the sunset together so and that was something in my third book it didn't end with a happy ending specifically and you know my publishers wanted me to rework it and um again I guess if I had that feedback now, I would know how to assimilate it and to work on the book. Um, but I didn't then. It just seemed easier to put it to one side and do something different because I was brimming with ideas. I had them <laughs> coming out of my, uh, my ears. <laughs> so I was like, Careful okay, now. let's move on. <laughs> it seems much easier to start again than to, uh, to work my way through changing what a delivered product. And I'm still kind of like that. I feel once I've done a book as I want it, it's very hard to then change it. Mm. I admire writers who can pull it all apart and rework it. Yeah, but that's that, that's really interesting to me because it's that's still quite a bold thing to do to say, right, I'm going to put aside however months work this is and and crack on with something completely new. But then you are sticking to your guns. You're doing something that that's truthful and honest and you're not trying to shoehorn the characters in into a happy yeah. ending or into a situation that doesn't feel right because readers will see through that, won't they? Well, I think so. And um, yeah, it, it just didn't feel the right thing to do. And I think I did it once more further down the line. Can't actually remember which book it was now, but I think I binned one other book and just thought, nah, do another one. But on, on the whole, again, because of um, the pressures of two deadlines a year, I kind of, I try and make it work as I go. So I'm not in that situation. But, you know, we're human beings. We can't always knock it out of the park first go. <laughs> No, absolutely. Sometimes you get halfway through and you think this really isn't working. So, um, yeah, you've got to have the courage of your convictions to um, to be able to do that, really. Absolutely. The, the two deadlines a year thing, whose who's, who's stupid idea was that? My stupid idea. My stupid idea. God. Well, Why have you done that to yourself, Carol? Well, I think the, the thing is I started to be published quite well in America and, and they were doing three books a year. So they were catching up with my backlist at an alarming pace. And um, they kind of drove it and said, look, we kind of really want you to do two books a year. And it it was fairly new in the market in the UK then. But um, Headline were brave enough to give it a go. 
And yeah, kind of, uh, say it suited my writing pace. Um, at the time, I had so many things I wanted to write. I write very fast. I write mostly now in first person. So I find I write very quickly when I do that. And some books I've written from two viewpoints, which is a little bit more um, of a slow process. So it kind of just was keeping up with the pace of books coming out in America and also my own preferred pace of writing really quickly. So when you're writing in that first person, are, are, do you feel like, because uh, I was talking to, to B.A. Paris about this uh, a, a few interviews ago, and she was she was saying that she feels like she inhabits the character, like an actor would sort of get into the shoes of that, that character. Is, is that your preferred way of writing? Yes, it is very much so. And um, yeah, I kind of think, you know, I was always an avid book reader, but I'm also a child of the TV age. So, you know, it was the one who used to do my homework in front of Scooby-Doo and um, Wacky Races and all that kind of thing. So I, I see my books very visually. And as you say, I kind of, yeah, I feel that it's my story that's going through it, although it's an, another character. So, yeah, I'm kind of acting out the books in my head. Fantastic. Oh, it's, weird. it's a weird job, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's the, it's the let's pretend. that out loud, you just sound mad. Well, it is. It's. I mean, any creative industry, it, there's always a little bit of let's pretend, and and you're suddenly that child, you know, in the dressing up box, putting on different hats yeah. and shoes or whatever. Yeah. And it's it's one of these things that if you can hang on to that, you're you're going to enjoy yourself a lot more, aren't you? Yes, I think so. And you know, I have perfected the art of convincing my accountant that afternoon tea is essential research. So, you know, <laughs> if you can do that in your job, then it's not too bad. I guess. That's fantastic. <laughs> I I heard a story once about an author who shall remain nameless, who uh, <laughs> who um, got claimed a jacuzzi. Uh, against taxes, a sort of hot tub jacuzzi. Oh, really? Yeah, because the 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 character in their book uh, had one of these. <laughs> and of course, they had to get one for research purposes. It went through. It went through the audit I, and everything. I'm just not aiming high enough, am I? <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. That <laughs> um, this you're being so prolific, you must have a pretty intense writing routine. Uh, are you up at the, the crack of dawn writing all through the day? How does it work for you? Well, kind of. I mean, I've always kept um, office hours. So I work generally nine to five and I have an hour for lunch um, during which I read a terrible tabloid newspaper because it's full <laughs> of wonderful ideas. And, um, and I've, I've, I've been an insomniac all my life, apart from when I discovered the joys of HRT and now I sleep like the dead. Um, but um, I used to do two or three nights a week I would pull an insomniac shift as we used to call them Um, and I would write from three in the morning till about six and then I'd go back to bed for a couple of hours so um, yeah once you're kind of awake there's no point laying there you might as well go and do something so um, I either watch come down with me I taught myself to crochet um, or I'd go and write for three hours so yeah so I, I kind of the day job was like normal hours, but then I had this kind of mad um, nighttime sessions. I used to get quite a lot done, really. Does the crocheting help with the ideas? Does that help put your mind in a kind of thinking space? I do a lot of crafts, and I do think it's, it is kind of good thinking space. Um, you know, it's, I think the lovely thing about being a writer is that... I. I don't know if other people find this, but sometimes you'd be, you be you kind of hit a brick wall in a little plot niggle, and the, I feel there's no point pushing through it. 
you kind of go away, you do something else, you go for a walk, um, have a glass of wine, watch something rubbish on the telly, you do some <laughs> crafting. And it kind of works itself out in your head while you're gone. And then you go back the next day and you think, oh, this, what, what was I even worrying about? Um, and, you know, uh, uh, I guess as long as that keeps happening, um, I shall be very relieved. Well, it's uh, let, let's talk about sunny days and sea breezes because if you want to talk about glamour, uh, listeners, this this book starts on the Isle of Wight ferry. So, yeah. <laughs> so tell us yeah. about sunny days and sea breezes. Piss to Jackie Collins in your yacht. <laughs> Get yourself on the Isle of Wight ferry. <laughs> oh, do you know the funny thing was though we um, uh, we had booked to go on holiday to the Isle of Wight because I haven't been on a plane for seven years. I can't bear it. Um, so we'd gone to the Isle of Wight and on holiday thinking it was like as abroad as we were going to get. Mm. And, um, oh, it's just a fabulous place. It is absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, fell absolutely in love with it. So of course, um, you know, I go for my two weeks R and R and instantly start writing a book in my head. So by the time I'd come back from that break, I had the bones of, of the novel I wanted to write. And we were in a very, very posh houseboat in Benbridge Harbour and next to it was a boat that wasn't quite so posh but with a very <laughs> handsome young man on it <laughs> so you can kind of see where my idea came from <laughs> so uh, that is, it is the story of somebody that escapes her London life and kind of goes to hide away on the Isle of Wight and um, as, as is always in my books gets a lot more than she expects Wonderful. So, um, yeah, so, but absolutely love the Isle of Wight. Fantastic. And it was, like, people always say it's like England was 50 years ago, but it kind of is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's all small scale and small pace of life and lovely. I used to go there every month when I was a sales rep at Headline. Oh, I used to go, I, yeah, oh. I used to go to, I used to come full circle. I used to go to the Otikas, uh, and, um, I used to get the ferry, which is a lovely ferry. I used to sit the red fun. Cause the old joke was what's brown stinking and comes out of cows backwards, the Isle of White ferry. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> but, um, but also, you're now telling me that we could have had a jolly to the Isle of White all those years ago. Yeah. I've, uh, <laughs> opportunity missed, but, uh, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely part of the world. Uh, yeah, really nice. What? So I hope that people will enjoy the setting of this book because um, it is a kind of a lovely postcard from the Isle of Wight to, uh, I hope the Isle of Wight Tourist Board appreciate my efforts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they really should. Uh, what's next for you, Carol? I'm currently writing a sequel. I haven't done that many times over my career. I've got a series of four, which are the Chocolate Lovers books, which are probably my most popular books. And then I've done one or two others that are linked. So this is a sequel to my book that was out last year called Happiness for Beginners. And it's one that I'm particularly proud of. Really, really enjoyed writing it. It's a story that's set on a farm. And it's not a usual farm. It's a farm that caters for kids with autism, challenging behaviour and learning difficulties. And they go to the farm and they learn through teamwork and looking after the animals. And um, I've got a very bossy friend called Donna. And Kevin and I were snuggling up on the sofa one Friday night to watch a film. And she rang up and said, darling, we've got orphan baby lambs to feed and you need to come and uh, feed them. We've got not enough people. So and it's pointless saying no to her. So we got um, suitably overalled up and went up to this farm where she told me what they do. So we've kind of stayed involved in the farm. And they were gracious enough to allow me to go up there and do my research there. 
they also had the problem that HS2 was coming through their land and they've had to, it was compulsory purchase, so they've had to move. So it, it's a, a very, uh, a story that's set in a very true kernel. So there's a very real heart to it about the difficulties that they have on this farm um, in catering for, for, for these kids. So yeah, it's been, it was brilliant. And I go up there and I don't know one end of a sheep from another. And um, all the alpacas hate me or try to have babies with me. Uh, I'm traumatised every time I go up there. I'm allergic to everything, as my hero is in the book. So, yeah, we've had a lot of fun doing that. So much fun that I'm going to do a sequel for this Christmas, which I'm on a very tight deadline because my dear publishers are going to turn it round in time for October, and I haven't um, finished it yet. Right. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) kind of need to get going on that i'm I'm not too bad i'm seventy five thousand words in yeah and that's going to be called christmas for beginners Uh, the other book was called happiness for beginners so this will be christmas for beginners so i'm really enjoying writing this i think my killer opening line is um, one of the alpacas has eaten the baby jesus so um, so it kind of goes kind of goes downhill from there really (laughs) (laughs) well I, I better let you get on with it. Uh, Carol, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Really, really appreciate it. And definitely looking forward to whatever comes next. Oh, bless you. Thank you very much for having me. And to all your listeners who are scribbling away, it is a fantastic job. And do it with your heart. Don't follow the trends. Do it with your heart. <laughs> Brilliant advice. Thanks, Carol. So how about this as a T-shirt, Mark? You know you're living the writing dream when you lose count of your published books. (laughs) I went to Carol's Wikipedia page and it's just, it's, it scrolls. The book, the book list actually scrolls. You have to scroll to look at the whole thing. That's brilliant. Yeah. 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 I think it's, um, it's interesting that she talked about, you know, she, uh, what she called beauty therapy confessional, you know, uh, and she's listening to real people's real stories. And she said that being nosy is an intrinsic part of being an author, but it goes back. I think Erica James does the same thing, uh, where she's talking about how she, you know, over, over listens to people's conversations and, and, and derives characters from them. But I think it is one of these things. If you're an author, you do have to be interested in people. You do have to open yourself up to people and say, tell me about that. Tell me your stories because you never know when there's going to be a little nugget of something that you can use in in a novel you know it's um it, it's just wonderful we had we had a chap come around today he's uh, sort of a local handyman because uh, the shower head popped off our shower and I could not get the shower head off and it was and he discovered that it was rusted and you know and I swear to god this this fella he must be 103 if he's a day. And uh, I, I said, because when I went up, because the shower head's up here and and uh, I got a ladder and I made sure everything was prepared. This fella, yoink, leaps up there like Spider-Man, you know, <laughs> and he's taking this thing off the wall. And I'm watching it thinking, yeah, you're ending up in a book, mate. Uh, one way or yeah. another. <laughs> the <laughs> idea of this, 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 the idea of this wiry old chap who completely surprises me. So, you know, you're going to meet people. You're going to, and this is why I always say carry a notebook wherever you go, you know, just to jot these little things down. So, you know, jot down old fella, wiry, athletic, leaps up onto bathtub, you know, something like that is is um, is going to, you know, it's in my bag of tricks. Could be a new Marvel superhero, couldn't it? <laughs> exactly. A hundred-year-old superhero, if they ever done that before, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> you should have, Mark, you should have on the front of your door, the front of your house, 
a, a, a kind of a notice, you know, like if you have a company, you have to put like a thing up the front saying it's limited company or whatever. You should have a notice which says something like, you know, beware all of ye who enter. <laughs> you may end up in one of my novels. My kids got me a T-shirt to that effect. Uh, I Did might they? wear it. I might wear it at the first craft session, actually, because it Brilliant. says, yeah, be careful what you say about me because you might end up in one of my books. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, it's so much fun. No, it's fantastic. I think that... Um, no, it, it, it there's there's so much there's so much to be said about this this idea of prolific nature once you get going. And one thing I found really interesting, I've not heard this before. Carol said, second book, absolute breeze. Like when have we ever heard that? It's always been all that difficult second album. But then she said, But the third book, that was really hard. So what what's going on there? Yeah, that's that's interesting. That fascinated me because I, I think um it's it's that thing she she writes from the heart and this is why she does so well she she writes what she wants to write and clearly when she wrote that she was in a place where it wasn't what the publisher expected and it's interesting that she completely abandoned the book and she's put it away uh which i think you know the more you write the more likely it is that that will happen and i guess that's the difference between we've talked about this before you know if you get a three book contract or whatever you're you know you are you have obligations to meet there are expectations about what you write and if you don't meet those expectations then you may end up having to you know either change the project which was suggested to her and she could have made it something different but i think as carol said you know it just wouldn't have been the book that she wanted to write and you have to take your hat off to her for that, I think. it's um, So, yeah, sometimes you, you might write something that might be a little bit too dark or a bit too left field or a bit too close to the bone um, or just not right, you know, for whatever reason. And you might have to walk away from that. But we've always said no writing is ever wasted. I think, you know, she clearly learned something from that and, and took it forward. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it it is interesting that she's she was brave enough to do that at such an early point in her career to basically say now I'm not going to compromise, so let's walk away from this one. Mm. It takes a lot of courage, and yeah. I think, you know, one of the things interesting we we talked about this on the coaching a little bit yesterday about emotional writing, but also being authentic. And and I think what I really got from Carol's interview was that she's always been authentic to herself and that has stood her in obviously really good stead for her entire career. And I think, you know, we have to make compromises. I mean, it's like, like anything in life, if you're in a relationship, you have to make compromises, whether it's with a, your partner or with an agent or a publisher. But when you know truly that something is the right thing for you as a writer, it takes courage to kind of stand by your convictions. But in Carol's case, it's a really good example of how it's really set her up for a very successful career. Let's let's talk about compromise, actually, because so often we the, 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 the insinuation is, is that compromise is a bad thing. Is uh, you know is that you're you're failing in some kind of way, and actually I found that if being open to compromise, being open to listening to other people, you will learn something from it. You will gain something from it uh, in a way that you might not by sticking your heels in. So I think there's a lot to be said for compromise. But of course, you know, in, in Carol's case, if if she felt it was taking her down a path that would not have been representative of who she was and what she wanted to write, that's fine. But I, 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 um, 
I compromise a lot. I, I will listen to, you know, when we listen to beta readers, we li- they will come up with a suggestion that we hadn't thought of before. And that might mean making changes that feel like a compromise or feel like, a, you know, a substantial change. But if it's going to improve it, then embrace it. You know, and I guess there's a lot to be said for learning to identify a good note, a good suggestion, and knowing when to compromise and uh, take on board some criticism or some comments. I think uh, you've totally hit the nail on the head. I think that compromise is, 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 is important for two reasons. One is it means you're not being stubborn enough to not listen to other people. I think, I think the idea of digging your heels in comes in after you've 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 explored that discussion and you've said yeah the, the, i i hear what you're saying but i still feel the same way the, but the thing is if you want to grow as a writer taking on board suggestions of other people is absolutely essential and softening i think it's i think it's a process that we soften don't we as we as we kind of get older um I'm sure there's a good analogy there about cheese, but I can't come up with it right now. <laughs> but if, you know, we, we soften as we get older. And I think um, one of the things I've learned from you, Mark, is that, you know, it, compromising on something or taking in other people's points of view. And you think about what you're involved in with the film, there's a ton of compromises you're having to make right now as a, as the screenplay writer, right? Um, I think that it always... If it, if it feels right once you've done it, then it, you always end up with something better. Because um, you have that kind of what we call the hive mind effect. It's something that actually, weirdly enough, we, we've called in the academy, we've called the main discussion area the hive because we, we believe that there's this hive mind approach to this. And I think it's, it's about, so it's about compromising, but it's also about knowing deep down what your core values are and and sticking to those when you really feel, because you know you, it's really super important for you moving forward in your career. But yeah, I mean, if you, if you if we won't be able to compromise as writers, we'd never even hire an editor, for example, because that's all about compromise, isn't it? Absolutely, it's it's listening to an objective point of view that gives you a new perspective on on whatever you've written. What's interesting about doing it in film is very often it's done in the heat of the moment, where uh, you might be on set or you might get a call in the middle of the day from people on set saying uh, this thing here should it be this or should it be this and you have to have enough understanding of your own work to be able to give a definitive answer or at least listen to someone saying you know what we i know we wanted to do it this way but the fact is it looks weird on film so we're gonna have to do it this way and you can dig your heels in and say, no, I want it done the way I want, which might mean an extra half a day shooting and you go over budget and, you know, the film is it harms the film overall. Or you just go, OK, yeah, give it a go. Let's 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 see. Let's see how that works out. It's um, so, yeah, it comes with experience, I guess. But it does. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, and uh, I think you're right. It's It's knowing those core values. That's a very important part of it, knowing what the thing that you really want and knowing what you, you will allow to sacrifice. Yeah, and sometimes you need to, as a writer, you need to go through a process where maybe you you you, you don't know what they are until you've gone with something too far. And then you think, oh, I wish I hadn't made that decision. I mean, we've had a lot of people tell us in the past, they said, oh, I did this and I wish I hadn't done it. But that's, again, all part of the learning process. You have to kind of, I mean, we were talk- again talking about this about failure. You have to fail in order to learn what doesn't work. That's as valuable as finding out what does work. And the fact that you're failing means that you're trying. So it's also about going on that journey and being willing to 
understand what you may or may not compromise on next time based on what happened in the past. <laughs> and that's just all part of the incredible journey of life, really, at, at one level. But from a writer's perspective, it, it's there's so much there. There's so much to explore. One thing that I loved as well about Carol's story, I loved the fact that it all happened for her because she went on a writing course. Yeah, she won a competition right? and spent the money on a writing course. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so it it's like people her. who've... In, uh, we've heard about stories about people who've... Um, gifted themselves a, a subscription to Patreon or, or gifted themselves, um, you know, joining the Academy. We know some people have actually kind of gifted that themselves to them. I've got a lot, we've got about four people who will all have set their goals that they're going to finish and publish their book by their 40th birthday and then have a massive party. Yes, I noticed <laughs> celebrate. that. I noticed right? that. The 40th birthday seems to be very, That's, very key. Yeah, very, there's, a lot, key, there's yeah. a lot of that happening. And so this idea of um, gifting yourself that in that that opportunity and and I, I love these stories it's like that film sliding doors you think to yourself what if carol hadn't gone on that writing course would she have sold 6.3 million or would she be doing something complete would she still be a beautician somewhere and i just i it's just always those tiny little decisions that we make in our life but i do think that it's, it's awesome to hear that that's how she started because that's really it was it's how she got the confidence i think somebody saying to her this is good enough to send to, it's ready to go and i found even within the first 10 days of the academy the number one question i'm getting from life coaching is about confidence and belief and i keep thinking how many brilliant novels are just sitting there that people have not pushed the button on because they're just not confident in themselves and yet they've already got a million seller right there on their computer everyone needs that little affirmation from someone on the outside looking in saying yes you can do this and with us it was our friend jeremy jeremy mason he came yeah. to see my first play and i wanted to be an actor at the time and he said there's too many actors out there but not enough writers you can write keep writing do you know what mark the people that i had that experience with in my life were my mum and dad uh -huh. they they were the the kind of mum and dad who encouraged me to to try anything out and go for it and live your passion and were always encouraging. And it makes such a huge difference. I know a lot of people have the absolute opposite of that, where parents can be very, you know, saying, oh, get a proper job and yeah, writers, you never make any money. And I think um, it makes such a big difference to have anyone, someone on your team who's making you and encouraging you to believe that, that it can happen. So... Yeah, big shout out to parents everywhere that do that. Yeah. And big shout out to our friend Jeremy Mason. Yeah. Who, I love Jeremy. He's such a great bloke. And I think that the world needs more Jeremy's as well as uh, <laughs> uh, Julie's. It's all it's all people beginning with J, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. But, um, Mark, we've also got a few wins we wanted to share as well from the BXP team this week. Yeah, it's um, it's terrific. Just uh, BXP team, if you if you join us on Patreon, if you join the top tier, one of the perks is you get to join the BXP group on Facebook, which has got best-selling authors and people just starting out and the pair of us, and it's just a great, great place to be. So uh, we've got uh, so Sage. Sage Gordon-Davis said she hosted her first-ever poetry workshop this weekend virtually, thank goodness for YouTube, and it went swimmingly. Swimmingly is not a word I use enough. That's something I'm going to start using more and more. Um, 
Uh, Jeff White, promos for my novella, The Swordsman's Intent, went well and spent last week riding high on Amazon's free charts for fantasy. Big strides have been made in plotting my second novel. And my first full week as a stay-at-home dad was a success, by which I mean the house is still standing and my son seems pretty happy. Congrats on that, Jeff. That's always an achievement. Uh, Laura Shepard said, I might be clutching at straws here, but one of my beta readers said of my second draft, very gripping and moving, I chuckled and gasped in many parts and almost shed tears. Almost. Maybe one more draft and I'll force people to get the tissues out. And uh, Andy Chapman said, after much scribbling and crossing out in a notepad, I've reworked the script for The Mask Collector, which is a horror movie he's been working on. Uh, It's being typed up today and then will be ready to submit to film agents at the end of month. Why is this good news? Because the script would be in such good shape if it wasn't for this podcast. So thank you for that very 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 much and there's so much more thanks to everyone who got in touch with that we, we just haven't got time to read them all out uh, today but um yeah thank you everyone fantastic stuff and if you would like to get involved in either the bxp team you can support this podcast by going to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support or if you are interested in learning more about the academy and you want to get on our wait list which is a first come first serve wait list for a vip invite to our next enrollment window then get over right now to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com get your name on that list now it's filling up already it's crazy stuff and mr stay i think we should uh, let people know as well how they can get in contact with us on social media yeah on facebook we're bestseller experiment twitter and instagram we are at bestseller xp Brilliant. And we're going to be announcing a mini challenge, but we'll give you a little preview now. If you are struggling to write, if you're struggling to write every day, if it's always been your dream to become a consistent writer and become prolific like Carol and have one of those scrolling Wikipedia pages of all the books that you've written, we want to challenge you. We want you to pop along to do our 200 word a day challenge, but we're going to challenge you for just one week. Try it for seven days. It's free. And by the end of the week, you will have approximately 1,440 words if you do it for seven days consecutively. So pop along to bxp2020.com and sign up today and see what happens because this is the beginning of uh, of incredible journeys for so many people who've listened to this podcast. And we want to get the world writing. We have this bonkers, bonkers goal of one day having a million words written within the 200 word a day challenge and we mr stay just smashed 10 million words. yes right we're a ways off the billion but you know we're you know the billions a ridiculous number i mean the fact that we got 10 million already we should be celebrating so thank you to every single person who's banked Every single one of those 10 million words. There's a lot of you out there doing this now. And I know that some of you have already finished your books. And get it on Twitter, get on Facebook, shout about why this 200 word a day challenge is working for you. And if you're hearing this and you're not doing it, get over to the website right now and sign up, bxp2020.com. So, Mr. Stay, I'm wishing you all the well in your incredible journeys with your film. Hope everything goes well over the next couple of weeks. Looking forward to hearing more about your adventures. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to everyone who's supporting us. Thank you for Dave and JD, our editors, for helping us get this podcast out there every single week. And we'll be back, Mr. Say, won't we, in two weeks? Mm. Yes, good stuff coming. We will. And we'll have a rerun next week for you of one of our classic episodes. So all it leaves me to do is to say thank you, Mr. Stay, 
for another incredible episode today. Good luck with everything. And to you out there in the writing world, have an amazing week's writing. It's goodbye from Mark 1. And goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.